Hey guys, welcome back to the Miss Independent channel. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode on index funds versus ETFs. And today's episode is also going to be super short and sweet. We're going to talk about the RSP and how you can leverage this account to the fullest. So Canadians pay the highest fees when it comes to RSPs and investing vehicles. And this really blew my mind when I first learned about this. And is it just because Canadians are foolish or is there something else that's going on here? I really wanted to understand. So I read a book called The RSP Secret, Defend and Build Your Wealth with This Powerful Investing Strategy by Greg Hapstrit. And I want to share my thoughts and details with you guys. So you're never going to hear a bank manager or a financial advisor tell you about some of these strategies. You're probably not going to read about it in a newspaper. Why? Because the bank loves selling you underperforming investing vehicles and increasing its own profits rather than helping you succeed. It's just how the bank works. It's a for-profit business. The financial industry is a massive marketing machine that isn't designed to make you money. And that's why you've got to take finances into your own hands. And if you actually want to build wealth, the first place that you can start is by educating yourself on how these systems work and how you can take matters into your own hands. In the RSP secret, the author Greg Hapstrit talks about how you can leverage different types of accounts like the TFSA, the RSP, and how you can use these accounts in not so conventional ways. And one of the main ones I'll talk about is one of the most secure ways to actually see growth. And it's exactly the same strategy that the bank uses to make money off of you. So at the end of this episode, you're going to learn what an RSP is. You're going to be able to actually turn the tables on the financial industry and beat them at their own game. And I do want to just get this disclaimer out of the way. Purpose of this episode is to provide educational content only. So I want you to do your own research and definitely consult your legal advisor, your accountant, and a financial advisor as well if this is a strategy that you want to employ. You always, always, always want to do your own research. So if there's anything throughout this episode that you might be interested in actually implementing, definitely consult with your experts and see how this can work for you. Before we get into the details, I want to go through the basics as always. So the first place that we'll start is walking you through what an RSP is. And an RSP is a registered retirement account you guys probably already have one if you work at a company and they're matching your contributions. So what that basically means is whatever you are contributing to this account, your employer is matching. Some employers match up to 6%, which is huge. And that's definitely money that you want to take advantage of. But an RSP is basically a retirement account and it's a way for you to save for retirement. Now, a lot of you guys are probably very young not thinking about retirement, like you want to live and enjoy life to the fullest. Maybe you're thinking about purchasing your next property or a property at all. And so thinking about retirement isn't the first thing that comes to mind. But the reason why it's so critical is because when you're young, you've got time on your side and you can actually invest less and have your money grow exponentially because of compound interest. So somebody that's investing a little bit later in life isn't going to have time on their side and they're going to have to invest way more to see the same returns that you do. So a lot of you guys might be thinking like, okay, cool. Why do I have to think about retirement? And let me just like paint this picture for you. So I've, I've heard some people say, well, the Canadian government's going to take care of me when I retire. And sure, we do have a pension fund that you actually contribute to every month 
through your paycheck. Your employer will contribute if you're a salaried employer. And part of your paycheck goes towards paying for a pension fund. But if you actually look at how those payments are distributed when somebody retires, there's a lot of different factors that go into how much you can earn. The maximum monthly payment that you can receive is going to be $1,253, so just over $1,200. And the average from the data that I've looked at is about $702 that you get every month. So take that in, $700 to $1,200. Let's, let's round it at $1,200 just to be safe. And the average person is going to want to retire at 65. Right after that point, it gets tough to keep working. You know, you start to maybe not cognitively function the same way. You start to get tired and have less energy. And so continuing to work is really difficult past that age. So most people retire at 65, but the average lifespan in Canada is actually 82 years. So you've got a whole extra 17 years that you've got to think about and how you're going to want to pay for retirement, at least, right? That's if you live to 82, but what if you live to 90? What if you live to 105? And one thing that I may or may not have shared with you guys is one of my life goals is to live to 200, which I think with advancements in medicine and all of these amazing things that are happening in tech, I genuinely think that that's going to be possible, but We'll have to see. So going back to the pension payments, right? Anywhere from $700 to $1,200. But if you want to rent a one-bedroom apartment in a big city like Toronto, the average rent for a one-bedroom is $1,900. So take that in. If you're making, let's say, $800 a month from the government and you have no RSP, nothing saved, how are you going to afford to live? So definitely something that you're going to want to think about. And the thing with an RSP is it's not just a retirement account. It's actually an investing vehicle. So how are you going to afford to live? How are you going to afford to eat? How are you going to afford to travel? Like a lot of people want to save traveling for when they're retired. A lot of different things to think about and consider. So that was just food for thought. I want to make sure that this we're not leaving off on a depressive note. There is definitely a lot of opportunity for you to have more than enough saved for retirement. But the key is that you've got to start early. And that's where having an RSP comes in. So an RSP isn't just a retirement account. This is something that I want you to kind of flip your thinking about. It's basically an investment vehicle. It's a way for you to grow your money. So having an RSP is key because let's say you don't want to retire at 65. You want to retire earlier like I do, right? The whole purpose of life isn't necessarily to work until the end of time and work until you die. It's to enjoy life a little bit. So a lot of people have been thinking about retiring early, which is why the FIRE movement exists, financial independence, retiring early. And that whole movement is designed by young people who are living very minimalistic lives and contributing a significant amount to their investments so that they can retire early. And an RSP is actually something that you can use to allow you to do that. So if your Canadian pension's only gonna kick in at 65, you can actually retire a lot earlier with an RSP. So here's a couple of different benefits of contributing money to an RSP account. Number one is you get tax deductions. So you know how every February, if you're a salaried employee, you get this tax slip, it's called a T4, and it actually has the total amount that you earned in the last calendar year. So when you get your T4, and you go in to file your taxes, something that I personally love to do, and I'm going to do a whole episode on this, is I like to see how much I need to contribute to my RRSP in order to reduce my taxable income. So contributing to your RSP 
actually helps you reduce the amount of taxes that you pay. And in some cases, you can even get a refund. So the whole benefit of having an RSP is that it's a tax advantaged account. So it helps you pay less in taxes in that annual year. And you can actually contribute until March 1st. So the deadline to contribute to your RSP in order to reduce the amount of taxes or have a tax refund is March 1st. And that actually counts for the previous year. So for 2021. So something very, very key to note. So when you contribute to your RSP, you get a tax deduction. And any contribution that you make is made with pre-taxed dollars. So the first thing that we talked about in RSP being is a tax-sheltered or tax-advantaged account. The second thing that we'll talk about is the fact that an RSP is an investing account. So you use your RSP to invest in different things like stocks, like bonds, like GICs. And any money that grows in your RSP is not taxed as long as it stays in the plan. And you have up until the age of 71 to contribute to your RSP. After 71, you've got to close the account. So I'll get into this a little bit, but basically anything that you earn in your RSP is going to be tax sheltered. The key with an RSP is that you do have to pay taxes when you take the money out. So the reason why people use it for retirement is the whole idea that you're going to be earning substantially less than you were in your peak years. And so you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. And when you're in a lower tax bracket, you pay less in taxes. So the best way to use an RSP account is to contribute the most when you're in your peak earning years, because that's going to help you pay less in taxes or potentially even get a refund in those years. So if you know that you're going to be making more money down the road, you want to save your RSP contributions for those years. Anyone that has earned income or has a tax slip can actually open up an RSP. And there are limits on how much you can contribute each year. So there's two different ways that that limit is calculated and it's always whatever is less. So that's very, very, very crucial to know. So the first point is it's either 18% of your earned income, earned employment income in the previous calendar year. So let's say you made $100,000, 18% of that is going to be $18,000. So that would be your cap. Or if you made more than that in the previous calendar year, the cap for 2022 is $29,120. So you want to take a look at what your earned income is and look at whatever is less, either 18% or that cap of $29,000. Whichever is less, that's the cap that you can contribute for the previous calendar year. And you don't have to use all your contribution room in this calendar year. You can carry it over. So let's say you only contributed 5000 to your RSP. That remaining contribution limit is going to get added onto your future year. And you can always log into your CRA account and check what your contribution limit is and how much you have available to contribute. Very, very important because if you do go over that amount, you're going to run into penalties. And that is not something that you want to do. So this is where the RSP secrets come in. And it's what you can actually use your RSP for. So what people most commonly know that you can use the RSP to purchase are things like cash, like you could just hold cash in that account. You can buy gold bars um, with your RSP. That's actually something that you have to do through um, specific financial institutions. You can buy GICs, you can buy stocks, you can buy bonds, you can buy ETFs, you can buy mutual funds, you can buy T-bills. You can invest in Canadian mortgages, you can invest in income trust or mortgage-backed securities. A lot of really interesting things that you can invest in that you may not have known about. There are some limits though. In March of 2011, the CRA actually announced that there's a couple things that you can't invest in. So things like debt, you can't hold debt in your RSP account. 
not like traditional debt. You can't hold investment equities in which you hold more than 10% ownership in. Another really interesting point. There are two other types of investments that you can hold in your RSP, and that's shares in a private holding company or private shares of a foreign company. But the CRA does let you invest in private equities and private mortgages. And this isn't something that your financial advisor is ever going to tell you about, but it is something that the CRA lets you do. So there are some restrictions. If you were to invest in a private mortgage, you can't be lending to somebody at arm's length, which is somebody that's in your immediate family, somebody related by blood or adoption. And the banks don't want you to know this because, again, they love to make money on mutual funds that they sell you. So it's all a big marketing scheme. If you missed last week's episode, usually with MERs, they will advertise it as a low percentage fee of only 2%. But if the return is 6%, just kind of measly considering the S&P 500 annual returns are like 9%. So if a fund is bringing you a 6% return and the fee is 2%, they're taking a third of your profit, which we ultimately want to avoid. So a bank won't let you have an RSP mortgage. One thing that you can actually do with your RSP is you can lend to yourself. So you take out money from your RSP and you become both the lender and the borrower. So really, really interesting concept. A bank isn't going to let you do that traditionally. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that the cash that's in your RSP or whatever is in your RSP is cash rather. And then you reach out to a trust. So Community and Olympia are the two biggest ones in Canada. And basically what you do is you direct this trust and you tell them what to do with your funds. So you can't go to them and be like, hey, what investing products do you have for me? They have to be told what to do with your funds. So there's a lot more control. There's a lot more direction that you need to have in order to take advantage of the strategy. It's a completely different process and ecosystem to working with the traditional banks. And that's something that you've got to understand. You have to be proactive. And I think a lot of investors want to be passive, especially in Canada. Part of it comes down to education. There's not a whole lot of information like this available. So that's why listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos. I love reading too. Like reading books is such a great place to start because you can arm yourself with information and then learn how to employ all of these strategies in your own life. So with a strategy like this, you are employing a completely different approach. So most people want to go for growth, but high net worth individuals who have substantial RSPs sometimes invest in private mortgages and do private lending because they want to preserve their capital and they don't necessarily want to put their capital in the trust of the market because things happen with the market, right? If you guys remember 2008, there was a big market crash. So a lot of the time, higher net worth individuals will want to look at capital security. High net worth individuals will want to go for capital preservation instead of capital growth. So another strategy that you can use your RSP for is to actually find people who have substantial RSPs. And then if you wanted to invest in real estate, you can have them lend to you through one of these trusts, and then you use those funds to invest in real estate. That strategy does become a little bit challenging. There are some barriers that you've got to get through because a lot of people that have made money through their RSP have done so traditionally. So you have to open their eyes to what's possible. You have to be really educated in the space and 
show them what kind of returns they're going to get and what kind of capital stability they're going to have. A lot of these people aren't necessarily looking for returns as much as they are stability. So that's something to consider. But the strategy is that you become the borrower, you find a lender to lend you money, and then you go in and find projects to actually invest in. So let's say you want to go the real estate route. You find a property that's valued at 400000 currently in its current state. And at the same time, down the street, you found a property that's fully renovated that's like 600000 So if you have done any type of renovation before, you might be able to ballpark costs. You might be able to bring in an expert to help you um, understand what the scope of the project would look like. But what a lot of flippers will do is they might see a property that they can put $30,000 in towards renovations. And if they bought it for $400,000, they can sell it for $600,000. So now that flipper has made $170,000 in profit. And what they'll do is in order to finance the project, they're going to go through the private lending route and they are going to borrow money from somebody's RSP, pay them a 10% return, let's say on their capital. So let's say they borrowed 50000 for um, from that one individual, they'll pay them 10% on their money. So they'll pay them $5,000 for using the funds and they'll pay back the initial principal as well. So that's how it works in a nutshell when you're using other people's money to fund real estate projects. I personally haven't done this yet, but as I go on this investing journey and start sharing information with you guys, as soon as I use OPM as a strategy or using other people's money to invest, I will definitely let you know and keep you posted on how this works for me. But it's not a strategy that I've tried yet, something that I definitely want to work towards employing in the future. So that's how you can use other people's RSP to your benefit, but you can actually hold your own mortgage in your RSP. And this is something that's not really widely known, so I'll walk you through the basics of how this works. But again, if it's something that you want to look into, I implore you to do your own research. So if you wanted to hold your mortgage in your RSP, the first step is to find an institution that's going to allow you to do that. So again, a traditional bank isn't going to let you do it. You have to find a trust that will let you do that. So you're going to need a self-directed RSP from an institution like Olympia Trust, B2B, or Canada Western Trust. And there's a handful of other trusts and companies that you can look into. Those are just a few to start. You're going to have to go through the same income verification and mortgage approval process that you would otherwise. They're going to ask for the same documentation. And it's not like you'll necessarily be approved for a higher amount or a higher mortgage than you would be with the traditional uh, lender. It's the same kind of process. So if you do go this route, don't think that you're going to be approved for more. You're likely not going to. And the interest rate, this is what is going to be really interesting. The interest rate is going to be different. Usually it's much higher. The applicable interest that you're going to pay is going to be the posted rate, not the discounted rate. So that's going to mean more interest on your actual mortgage payments, but it's going to be offset by a higher interest income that you're making in your RSP. So it's a trade-off that you're making. And again, this is where the advanced RSP strategies and secrets come in. It's not something that you're going to want to do if you're a beginner investor. So definitely, um, if you are a beginner Maybe this isn't something that you're going to want to look at right away. This might be a little bit confusing for you, but for somebody that's more advanced in their financial literacy and financial education, this is something that is pretty fascinating. And when I found out about this, I was like, damn, this is pretty cool. So there's going to be fees involved with this strategy. There's, you know, appraiser fees, administrative fees, um, fees that you have to incur just by having a self-directed RSP as well. And you would make payments to your RSP the same way you would pay for a mortgage and cover mortgage payments. If you default or let's say you can't make those payments, the trust is going to go after you. 
And even though you're lending to yourself, the trust is facilitating that. So it's not like you can just hold your mortgage in your RSP, not pay your payments, and that's it. No, there's going to be consequences. The cool thing is that the mortgage payments go into your RSP as cash, and then you can use them to invest in ETFs or other kinds of investing products which are going to help you make a higher return. So the whole idea is that you're making a higher return based on the market and you're investing your mortgage payments and paying back a portion of what your return is. So it's it's way more difficult to do. You have to be an active investor and it's not something that is going to work for everyone. Another thing that's really key is that the payments that you make aren't actually considered RSP contributions. So there's a way around that. Um, I know that was a question that I had, like, hold on, if I am, you know, contributing to my RSP and putting my mortgage payments technically in there, then wouldn't that go towards my contribution limit? And the short answer to that is no, it doesn't. So you might be thinking, like, you need to have a really large RSP to do this. The truth is you don't. The CRA doesn't have a minimum requirement for what you can use your RSP for. Um, You can invest in a small mortgage. You can invest in a large mortgage. But with the amount of fees and work that this takes to, to deploy, I would say that investing into a large mortgage makes a little bit more sense in terms of like your time and what you're using that for. And there's no requirements on whether or not it has to be a first mortgage or a second mortgage. Like you can use this towards any type of mortgage, even a commercial mortgage. So pretty cool if you ask me. You could even have a rental property mortgage that's on there. So might be something worth looking into as well. So back to one of my comments about the financial industry not necessarily wanting you to know that you can hold your mortgage in your RSP is the fact that they have biases when they lend to you. The financial industry benefits when you give them sources of profit. So when you have an RSP with them and you have a mortgage with them, it gives them two sources of profit. So for you to have your mortgage in an RSP and move that RSP over to a trust, that's not necessarily something that the bank wants to do because they're losing sources of profit from you. So in theory, it it sounds like a great like stick it to the establishment kind of method, but in practice, you definitely want to consider the cost and the time and the amount of attention that you're going to need to put into employing a strategy like this. And you're going to have to have a team of advisors as well, like legal counsel, a good accountant, um, and somebody that can help you liaise between the financial institutions as well. Using the strategy is going to come down to your rate of return. So I want you to consider this. You take out a mortgage through your RSP and the interest rate is 5% or the posted rate. But let's say you can get a mortgage through a traditional bank at a rate of 2.5%. And then what you can do is you can take that extra 3% and invest it. So if you're getting a 3% return or ideally like a 7% return, you're making way more on that spread in the long term. You always want to crunch the numbers and look at interest rates because even though they're small percentage points, Over the long run, it's going to make a big difference. So it all comes down to what interest rate you're going to get. Right now, interest rates are so low. That's why more and more people are trying to get into the housing market and demand is so high and supply is so low. So that's what's influencing housing prices to go up substantially. So I want you to really understand that if this is a strategy that you want to employ, look at the interest rate. If you're getting a lower interest rate at the bank, that's I wouldn't shy away from that because that's cheaper money that you can borrow. And that means that you don't have to pay as much in interest. 
and who wants to pay more interest than they have to? So there's actually a pretty large percentage of Canadians that have their mortgage in their RSP, but if you look at interest rates and what you're actually paying, I would definitely think twice, and I wouldn't shy away from having a mortgage through the bank, because if the interest rate is lower, why not take advantage of that? And interest rates right now are dirt cheap, which is why there's so much demand for real estate and supply is limited because people don't necessarily want to sell. They want to hold on to their real estate with inflation, things that they're afraid of. Anyways, I don't want to go on a tangent. If this is a strategy that you do want to employ, instead of necessarily having your own mortgage in your RSP, some things that you can take a look at are investing in mix or mortgage investment corporations. You can also invest in other people's mortgages and that is private lending in a nutshell. So I hope this episode gave you a sense of what RSP hacks or secrets there are out there and how you can actually use an RSP efficiently. And maybe this isn't something that you're going to jump and try right away, but I hope this gave you the opportunity to understand what's out there, what's possible. And hey, if you're as fascinated about this kind of stuff as I am, maybe this opened your eyes and made you think, wow, that's something that I didn't know. So thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you subscribe to the channel. And if you can leave me a review on Spotify or podcasts, Apple Podcasts app, it would mean the world to me. Thank you so much, guys. Until next week.